This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Our country's bicentennial spirit is alive in neighborhoods all over America. I'm John Warner, administrator of the nation's bicentennial. Today, millions of Americans are involved in bicentennial programs and events. One year ago, there were just 2,000 bicentennial communities. Today, we are approaching 10,000. One year ago, the Bicentennial Administration had listed only 5,000 projects and events. Today, the list is approaching 50,000. Are you a part of it? Do you want to learn more about your Bicentennial? Then subscribe to the Bicentennial Times. It's free. It's the National Bicentennial Newspaper. It tells who, what, when, where, and how about our 200th anniversary celebration. To receive your free copy, write to me, John Warner, Bicentennial Times, Box 1976, Washington, D.C., 20276. It's free. Join us. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... between man and animals, said Voltaire, is that man knows he will die. Animals have bodies, brains, instincts, and desires, as we do, but they do not have our fiendish comprehension that we are finite. That one day, tomorrow, or the next, this year, or the one after, in this century, or the following one, our bodies, brains, instincts, and desires will have perished. Of course, that is why we seek so desperately to convince ourselves of the truth of reincarnation, the promise of a life beyond this one, of some kind of immortality, to soften the implacable reality of death. The house has whispers in it. Too bad. Really, Elaine. Really too bad. They mutter to themselves, what have I done to deserve this? Sometimes they shout. It's your fault. It's not mine, it's yours. Just shut up, both of you. Who would think they'd still be talking after all these years? Our mystery drama, The Intruders was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Lois Nettleton. It is sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and Carrier Air Conditioning. I'll be back shortly with Act One. To the man who bought the Skyhawk, to the girl in the century, we're glad you like your Buicks, glad you set your spirit free. And to the family from Ohio, to the folks up in St. century of yours is some car. Thanks, we like it. Yeah, and that tie you have on is really nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I see you have the V6 engine. Look at all that room. Uh-huh, isn't that something? Uh-huh. I'll tell you something else that's something. Over 250,000 people have already bought 1976 Buick. I bet they're really nice people. Do you think they'd like to come over for dinner? All 250,000 of them? Well, I suppose we'd have to borrow some folding chairs. Yeah, wait your mother has a couple of to the free spirit in just about everyone. I don't believe it. Tell me again. Okay. The Internal Revenue Service has over 80 free publications to help answer all those taxing questions you have on your mind. Uh Uh-huh. 
What if I'm a flagpole sitter whose pole was attacked by termites? All right. Flagpole, termites. It's publications 547 and 584. Ah. An ant left me an elephant under 12 years of age for me to care for. Mm-hmm. Adolescent elephant, uh, 501. Uh. People throw money when my 98-year-old uncle lifts weights at the beach. Is that income? Mm-hmm. 554 and 525. Oh. Does the IRS have an answer for everything? Well, just about. There are over 80 free publications for the asking at any IRS district office. You can write for them by using the order blank on your 1040 tax package. Yep, over 80 tax answering publications. Free from the IRS. minds, instincts, and desires. And we all live with the knowledge that one day they will all run down and come to a stop. And the world will spin on, oblivious and indifferent to the fact that we no longer inhabit it. So perhaps the fear that chills our blood is not so much that life will be over as it is that we will have so wasted it as to have left no impression whatever on the world we leave behind. I walked the last half mile or so to the house because I wanted to come to it alone. I had dreamed of it nearly every night for seven years. The serene old house standing under great elms and oaks built of the mellowest old field stone dug out of the resisting earth that surrounded it. And now as I walked up the path and saw the front door painted a soft olive green, the great brass knocker shining softly. I knew that I had done the right thing. I had come home. I pushed the door open. There was the great wide entrance hall. There was the gently curving staircase with its polished mahogany balustrades leading to the floor above where now I was certain I would find my old bedroom just as I'd left it. I had done the right thing. I'd come home. I started toward the staircase, anxious to see my old, my own, my so familiar room with its long windows opening onto the gardens, its four-poster bed all hung in muslin, its tiny fireplace crouching like a cat in one corner. All, all would say, Welcome home, Elaine. We're glad you've come. I had one foot on the first stair when something happened. I couldn't distinguish the words. But one thing was unmistakable. I was not alone in my house. I had come home. But to what? Such a bother. It's too bad. It, it really is too bad. Why did it have to happen just now? When everything was going so well. Why did it have to happen to us? It's really too much. It's a shame. That's what it is. Yeah. That's a shame. Who had taken over my house? Who had dared to move into my house? Who was intruding on my property? We have to do something. Don't both of you look at me. I don't know what to do. I hope you don't think I do. You certainly don't think I do. Now, let's not fight among ourselves. Let's put our heads together and think what to do. Yeah, we have to figure out something. Yes. Everything was spoiled... Strangers were in my house. Three of them, it sounded like. They had broken into my house, and now they were upset because I'd come back to claim it. They must have seen me coming up the path, heard me open the door, walk in. And now they were trying to decide what to do next. She's so young. That's not the point. I know, but... but she can't stay here. Where can she go? That's what we have to figure out. She's so young and so frail. Such... such a little thing. Voices were coming from the front parlor. I made up my mind. I would simply confront them. Tell them that I had come home to my own house and they must leave. Who's going to tell her? Not I. Certainly not me. You don't expect me to. You're the logical one. You can't make me do it. I won't. The door to the front parlor flew open and a woman rushed out. I braced myself against the post and tried to summon my courage to find my voice. 
But everything was happening so fast. The woman hurrying straight towards me. The two men after her. You have to. I won't. You can't expect us to do your dirty work. I won't. I won't do it. Do you know what happened then? The woman rushed right past me and up the stairs. She took no notice of me at all. In utter astonishment, I watched her run up the stairs to the second floor. I was trembling all over. Everything was being spoiled. I'd come home and now my home was not mine. It was filled with intruders. I turned to see what the others, the two men, were doing. The door to the front parlor had closed again. They must have gone back in. I tiptoed across the hall and put my ear to the door. And I could hear them talking. It's up to you. Why not you? You're the head of the house. Not when it comes to things like this. Oh, you mean not when it comes to whatever you don't feel like doing. That'll be enough out of you. I am not going to argue with you. The door suddenly opened, and one of the men came out. He was rather young, which surprised me for some reason. About my own age, I would suppose. Handsome, with black hair and blazing eyes. I couldn't help but admire him. He strode angrily out of the room into the hall and slammed the door behind him. I watched him dash upstairs, two steps at a time, perhaps to comfort the woman, perhaps to enrage her further. Now there was only one of the intruders left. I would confront him, demand what right he had to be in my house and order him to leave. When he had complied, then I could deal with the other two. You will leave my house at once. My voice lacked all conviction. I was embarrassed, mortified. The man, older than the other one who had just passed me in the hall, was standing at a window looking out. And it would seem hearing nothing. For he didn't even turn his head at the sound of my voice. He simply stared unseeing out the window. Then his hands gripped his head... A quivering sigh turned into a deep sob. His whole great body shook, and his knees bent until they touched the floor. Lord. Help me, Lord. I cannot bear it. I cannot. Lord God in heaven, help me. Help me, or I am lost. Stuck still at the door. All my anger had left me. All my indignation, all my resolve to rid my house of these usurpers. I had only a huge desire to cross over to him, put my arms around his big shoulders, and draw his head to my breast. Whatever his trouble, whatever his misery, I wanted only to comfort him. I did what I could. I did my best. Lord, you know I meant nothing but good. I never meant that things should be like this. I meant only the best. Only the best. I felt sobs in my own throat. A sympathy I had not known for years. A love for another human overcame me human I did not recognize, did not know. He turned slowly and started for the door. I held out both my arms. Forgive me. I'm sorry. So sorry for whatever it is that I have done. Then the most astounding thing happened. As I stepped forward to embrace him... He lifted his gaze from the floor, looked straight into my face, into my eyes, which by now were as full of tears as his own, and he said, Am I never to be forgiven? And having said those words, not to me, not to anyone, he walked to the door. The jacket of his coat brushed my dress as he walked past me to the door, which was open, went straight through into the hall and vanished from my sight. I was alone in the parlor. Whatever I had expected my homecoming to be, it was not this. No, never this. To 
to be the outsider in a place that belonged to me? I went upstairs. But before I reached the room that had always been mine, I passed another room. A big square room with a big double bed. And on it lay the woman. I crossed over to her. She was sleeping. But her lips moved. And I bent over to try to catch the words. Baby. 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 That was all she said. But she kept saying it. Baby. my ear close to her mouth to try to catch another word, but I heard only baby repeated over and over. Then I was suddenly aware, and I felt a chill sweep through me. I was aware that from her mouth no breath escaped. There was no feeling of her breath upon my cheek. I ran from the room. Across the upstairs hall, a door to another room stood open. Inside, the young man with the black hair and blazing eyes was pacing up and down. I, I watched him for almost a minute from the doorway. But he never looked up or took any notice of me. Suddenly, he grabbed a vase of flowers from the table and dashed it to the floor. Damn! The explosion of his anger drove me away, and downstairs, I ran to the back of the house, to the kitchen. There, seated at the big work table, was the man. Not crying now, not making any sound whatsoever, but staring straight ahead with eyes that were bleak and passionless. He did not move as I entered the room. His big hands lay side by side on the table, palms down. Love and pity stirred me. I moved to where he sat and put both my hands over one of his. Still, he did not move. How could he not move, I thought. Oh, then I realized that his hand, his big hand that lay in both of mine, had no substance at all. It was as though my hands held air. I touched nothing. I held nothing. The hand, big and strong and firm as it appeared to be, was nothing. And then I knew... Certainly and surely, I knew that I had come home to find my house inhabited by ghosts. What could be worse than coming home after a long absence to find your house occupied by three ghosts? Well... I'll tell you what could be worse. To find that some persons had backed up a moving van to your door and made off with all your belongings. Or to discover that a fire had burned it to the ground. That would be worse. But three fairly civilized, seemingly non-violent ghosts? What's so bad about that? I'll be back shortly with Act Two. You want your
all seek to understand the many ways in which God reveals his word. The book of Job says this about dreams. God speaks first in one way and then in another, but no one notices. He speaks in dreams and visions that come in the night. When slumber comes on mankind and all men are asleep in bed, then it is he whispers in the ear of man, or may frighten him with fearful sights and turn him away from evil doing to save his soul from the pit. So listen to your dreams. They could guide you to new and positive directions. For your free booklet on dreams, write to the Foundation Church, 1147 First Avenue, New York, New York, 10021. That's the Foundation Church, 1147 First Avenue, New York, New York, 10021. believed to be hers and finds it tenanted by three people, or what she believed to be people, but who she has now decided must be ghosts. There is the lady ghost whose sleeping breaths cannot be felt upon Elaine's cheek. There is a young male ghost who cannot hear Elaine's knock upon his door. And finally, there is a gentleman ghost whose hand Elaine cannot feel when she takes it in both her own. Feeling perplexed, but strangely, not in the least frightened, I went upstairs. I opened the door just as I had opened it countless times before and went in. I heard something. To my astonishment... To my, my infinite delight, there was a fire burning in my tiny fireplace. How could this be? Had the three unhappy and quarrelsome ghosts been expecting me? Was it their way of saying welcome to the owner of the house? I sat down in the Windsor rocking chair that I remembered so long ago. Why? It even creaked in the old familiar way. How sensitive my ghosts must be to know that I would be disappointed if anything had changed if my rocker did not still give off its well-remembered, its well-beloved little squeak. So, born gently and sweetly into my own past, lulled by the creaking of the rocker and crackling of the fire, I drifted off to sleep. feeling much refreshed. I washed my face a little, brushed my hair, and went downstairs. I wanted to go back to the kitchen where I'd left the elderly gentleman, my favorite, I must confess, of the three ghosts. So I felt pity for the woman and an odd attraction to the young man. This time, the old gentleman was not alone at the kitchen table. All three were there. The boy still looked angry. The woman still anxious and unhappy. Only the older man seemed to have composed himself. Now, I've heated up what's left the lamb stew we had last night, and I want you all to eat some. Oh, I can't, Frederick. Neither can I. I want no nonsense from either of you. Uh, we have decisions to make, and we are not going to make them on an empty stomach. Well, There's some for you, Elizabeth. Now, eat it, eat it all, and, oh, Fred, some for you. Now, come on, dig in, and some for me. Oh, and there's milk in that pitcher, so help yourselves. As they started to eat the stew and drink the milk, I found that I was hungry, too. It had been hours since I'd eaten. There was a fourth chair at the table. What harm could it do if I sat down with them? It would be cozy. It, it would be nice. And there was always the chance that one or more of them would notice me, speak to me, make friends with me. I, I picked up the old bent wood chair, sat in it, and inched it towards the table. No one looked up. They kept right on eating. Seems I was hungry after all. Of course you were. <laughs> Didn't think I'd ever want to eat again. Not after this morning. 
That was dreadful. I don't think she even knew who I was. Well, the main trouble is this house. Yes, yes, the house. She loves it. Too much. Yes, too much. What were they talking about? This house. That must mean this very house in which we were all sitting. My house. My very own cherished house. And what, what did they mean? I loved it, loved it too much. And that was the trouble. Is that what they were saying? Really? My temper flared a little. After all, I was mistress of the house. They were simply guests and uninvited ones at that. I was the owner of the house. (sighs) Meanwhile, I was hungry. And no one was offering me anything. The lady ghost had not even touched her stew. I picked up her spoon and dipped into her bowl. Hmm. Delicious. I couldn't think when anything had tasted so good. I picked up the pitcher of milk, since I had no glass, and took a hearty gulp. Life was going to be pleasant if my ghosts kept cooking and cleaning for me. And there was always the possibility that one day they would see me, as I saw them, and we would talk together, touch one another, be a close, if (laughs) slightly peculiar, little family. I watched them finish their luncheon. I had volunteered a few remarks during the meal, and no one had paid the slightest attention. It was clear that I had not yet found the way to communicate with ghosts. I'll, uh, I'll clear the table. I'll help. No. No, let Fritz do it. Oh. All right, Fritz. Okay. See there now, Mother? You did have an appetite, after all. You ate a whole bowl of lamb stew. I hardly touched it. (laughs) Seems believing. Well, I didn't know I was doing it, I swear. (laughs) I could hardly hold back a giggle. The lady didn't know I had eaten all her stew. How long, I thought, will I have to go on sneaking food from their plates? How long before they would notice it? How long before they would notice me? Uh, Fritz, will you wash up? Oh, sure. I want to go out and uh, and pick the last of the roses. I'll come with you. Oh, good. Those two must be husband and wife, I thought, as I watched them go out the back door, hand in hand, walking a little wearily, leaning each one a little on the other for support. I lingered on in the warm, bright kitchen, watching the handsome boy ghost at the sink. I wanted to touch his wavy black hair where it curled down the nape of his neck. I wanted to kiss the long-fingered hands that held the dishes under the running water, scrubbed and then dried them and put them away. But I soon tired of watching his brooding face, and I remembered the elderly couple who were by now wandering among the roses. My roses. There had been vases of them in every room of the house, It had been a vase of roses that this grim young man had dashed to the floor. I would go out and see my roses again. There they were. She with a basket over her arm. He with a pair of clippers carefully snipping off the roses. The pink, the yellow, the white. And placing them in the basket she held. I I fairly danced up to them. I, I felt I loved them so... Surely in this garden spot they would see me and know me. But they simply talked quietly to each other. The yellow ones are almost finished. Yes, and the white. (laughs) The yellow are my favorites. Well, we'll put in more next year. (laughs) We always do that. But what for? Uh, One never knows. You may be right. What? Hurt yourself? Just a thorn. Oh. Well, you should be more careful. Annie went on cutting the flowers and putting them in her basket. She put her injured finger in her mouth for a second or two, then went on arranging the roses. The pinks together, the whites together, the yellow. Oh! What now? I did it again. Oh, really, Elizabeth? time she held out her finger for him to look at. I looked too, and 
What I saw bewildered me more than anything that had gone before. From her finger, which she held up to him as piteously as a puppy with an injured paw, from her finger fell drop after drop of crimson blood. Blood? My ghosts could bleed. I told you to be careful. I know you did. I just wasn't thinking. It's hard. I know, my dear, I know. But I don't want you hurting yourself. How can I be hurt any more than I've already been hurt? Tell me that. Well, <laughs> I hurt too, you know. I do know. We've all been hurt. We're all bleeding. Yes. Well, let's go back. We have enough roses. I followed them as he tenderly shepherded her toward the house, stopping now and then to comfort her and dry her eyes. What was troubling my ghosts? What was the deep unhappiness that depressed them? I ached with sympathy from my newly adopted family. The the doctor's here. The doctor? Mm-hmm. He wants to talk to you both. Is it good news or... Well, he wouldn't tell me. He wants to discuss something with you. What? A possibility, he said. What possibility? A, a possibility of what? Well, he, he wouldn't tell. Um... He wants to talk to you. We all went into the house, through the kitchen, into the front parlor, where sat a strange man, small, undistinguished, with gray hair, parchment skin, and the bluest eyes I'd ever seen. Pale blue they were, but penetrating, bright, and somehow kind. I'm glad I found you in. You have news for us, Doctor. In a way, I have a... She was asking for you this morning. For me? Did she... She... She asked for all of you. By... By name? Did she seem to remember... Not everything, no. But enough. Enough. Enough to... to give you hope? Well, I should think so. Oh, Doctor. She seemed concerned about three of them. I must say it was a happy thing for me to hear. When I saw her early this morning and she asked about all of you, uh... Spent some extra time with her. I... I asked her if she'd like to come home. Come home? Uh, could she? That would be wonderful. Well, I had to talk to you about it first, of course. If, but if she's well enough... She's better. She's improved. Well, then why not? I want you to talk it over between yourselves. There's nothing to talk over. <laughs> what are we waiting for? Let's go get it. Not, not, now, not so fast. I insist that you sleep on it. Then in the morning, if you're all agreed, come see her at the sanitarium. If all of you are like-minded, you can bring her home. Oh. Now, I think, I think perhaps we're taking chances, but then, uh, <laughs> we never chance anything. We never gain anything. Am I right? doctor a ghost as well? Frankly, I couldn't make him out at all. That bit of homely philosophy, life is full of risks, but we must risk something to gain something, that didn't sound much like a ghost to me. To a ghost, after all, life is, well, uh, what is it? Something they've lost? Or is it something they found? Or is it something in between? Allstate asks, do you own a small business? Go over these questions with your present group health and life insurance agent. If your agent doesn't say yes to every one, then talk to the good hands people. First question, does your present group plan cover all x-rays and lab tests other than in routine physical exams? If not, talk to the good hands people. Does your present group plan provide disability income protection to help replace your employees' paychecks and yours? If not, talk to the good hands people. You're in good hands with Allstate. See your Allstate agent to find out what an Allstate plan costs. 
what is and isn't covered, including benefit reductions and terms under which insurance continues in force. All state insurance companies, available in most states to businesses that qualify. slight progress toward establishing herself as mistress in her own house. She had met the three ghosts who dwelt there, though clearly they had not met her, being apparently quite oblivious of her presence. Still, she had developed real feeling for them, no matter how they ignored her. She had touched them, though they did not react. She had even sat down to luncheon with them. at last I knew what was troubling my three sweet ghosts. Someone they all loved. A woman. A girl. Was very ill. And now they were going to bring this invalid home. Home to my house. Perhaps they'd chosen my house so that she would have a particularly lovely place to come to after the sterility of the hospital. When I went to my pale blue room that night... There were fresh yellow roses in a white vase next to my bed. And surprise of surprises, my bed had been turned down. The blue and white coverlet had been neatly folded across the foot of the bed. The pillow and its embroidered slip had been plumped up at the head. And the turned down corner revealed the loveliest of linen sheets. I, I laughed aloud in my great joy. My new family was about to be complete. And all of us would be very, very happy together. In the morning, I came downstairs to find them chattering excitedly. Fritz, we've decided you should not stay here. Why? Because three of us might be too much company for her. You know how she's behaved those other times. Oh, but Frederick, this time will be different. Remember what the doctor said. It's only a chance. That's more than we've had before. Uh, all right, all right. Fritz, you go over the whole house, and if you see anything, anything at all, any bit of dust or piece of scrap, everything must be absolutely perfect. And be sure there's food in the icebox and plenty of soft drinks. Fritz will take care of everything. <laughs> everything. Now, don't excite yourself. <laughs> How can I help it? My baby, my baby is coming home. baby. The day before when I had bent over her, she lay sleeping in the bed and had heard her whisper in her sleep over and over again the word baby. It was her child who was ill, who had been taken away from her, kept away for so long. Not a baby anymore, I suspected, but a girl. How big? How old? Would she be pretty? brought a car around to the front door. He left it for a minute to go inside to get his wife, and that gave me just enough time to clamber into the back seat and scrunch myself way down on the floor. That way they would never see me. For I was becoming more and more certain that the time was very near when they would see me, when I would introduce myself properly and offer to share my house with them forever. But not just yet. We must all wait till the family was complete 
till the one I'd never seen had been brought back from the sanitarium, till she was settled in, felt comfortable. Then, then, they would begin to see me, hear me, touch me, love me. It was only a short drive to the sanitarium. Tomorrow, she and I will go shopping for clothes. That's too soon. Well, next week, then. Now, listen, we must be patient. Very gradual about this whole thing. I know, I know. Uh, but let me dream. <laughs> dream away, darling. Dream away. <laughs> I felt the car make a turn off the road to the right. Only then did I get up off the floor and look out the window. There stood a great white house. Pretty enough, though not nearly so handsome as mine. The couple got out and hurried up the broad marble steps and went inside. I slipped in with them before the door closed. The doctor I had seen at my house the day before came out of a room, greeted the man and his wife, and took them back with him into the same room. Once again, I managed to slip in before the door closed. I hid myself behind a chair. Please, sit down, both of you. Yes. Thank you. Well, now... How... how is she, doctor? Yes, how is she this morning? Still... Uh, uh, still improved? Well, I'm not sure. How can you be not sure? You talk to her. She still wants to come home. We have everything ready for her. Does she want to? Oh, yes, yes. She still wants to come home more than before. Well, then. Well, uh, wait. Uh, doctor, there's more, isn't there? Yes, there's more. Well, tell us. Well, she's anxious to come home, very anxious, but her attitude toward all of you... Yes. Uh, hmm? You said yesterday she was concerned for us. That's changed? Yes, sir, it's changed. Changed back. What? Back. Back. Back to what it was. To what it was when she first came here. Oh, no. Can't be that she... She... She hates us. She wants to kill us. Oh, no. Now, 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 love and hate live together. You understand that, don't you? They live side by side in every human being. There is never just love, never just hate. Now, we have a, a glib-sounding word for it. Ambivalent. It sounds so impersonal, so technical. But believe me. Its substance is anything but impersonal. It is a state of being that rips us apart every moment of our lives. It is the condition that brings great joy and great sorrow. A condition that rules us, confuses us, threatens to destroy us. It is... Now, to put it briefly, it is the human condition. But what does all this mean? It means that Elaine is capable of loving you very greatly and hating you just as much. You see, there is an imbalance in her, so she rocks from one side to the other, unable to regulate her feelings. Now, if she goes home with you, you must bear this in mind if she comes home with us. Paying much attention to what anybody said, especially the doctor whose talk I didn't understand at all. Crouched as I was behind the chair, I simply wanted the whole thing to be over with, for them to be united with their darling girl and bring her back to my beautiful home so that we could start being a family. Yes? What's that? Oh, I understand. Uh, how long ago? Well, no, that's not too bad. No, I'll hold everything. I'll be right out. Uh, excuse me, will you? Uh, of course, Doctor. Was that was that call? Did it have to do with Elaine? Yes, uh, she's wandered off somewhere. They're well, looking. No, no, they're looking for her now. Don't worry, she's still on the ground. I'll, I'll be right back. I was beginning to get impatient. I was exhausted by my efforts to become part of their lives, to make them realize who I was and what I was, and how important they were to me. And how important I must become to them. I went up to them. I put my head in his lap. I took one of her hands in mine. And I kissed it. Over and over. Then the door opened. 
Doctor? What is it? I, uh... I hardly know how to tell you this. What is it? Your daughter is dead. Oh, no! Dead? She drowned herself. There's a little pool on the property. No, no. It's not deep. She... She must have drowned herself purposely. I I can't think how she managed it. She's dead. I'm so very sorry. Oh. And I knew. The two who were still sitting there were not ghosts at all. They were people. Flesh and blood people. Real people. Very real now in their grief. They had come all this way to fetch their daughter home, and she was dead. She had drowned herself in a little pool. I looked at my hands. There was water on my hands. And my hair was drenched in water. So very sorry. I wish there was something. There's there's nothing, Doctor. It happens sometimes when a patient feels the beginnings of his own recovery. Starts to feel afraid of what may lie ahead. Yes, I suppose. We see it rather often. It's hard to be sane. And they know it. Hmm. We'll go home now, Doctor. You'll let us know when to come back and get her and take her home. The doctor nodded his head, and the two people left. Slowly, walking slowly, out to the car getting into the car and closing the door. I hardly knew what to do. In what relationship did we stand now? If they were living people, what was I? Clearly, I had been confused in my analysis of the whole situation. They were real people, and I... I was nothing more than a ghost. I still loved them, and I could not desert them. I slipped back through a back window and crouched down on the floor. They didn't say a word to each other all the way home. I had no idea what I was to do next. The boy I had thought to be a ghost and now knew was as real as the other two came out to meet them. And my heart was wrung with pity when I saw the look on his face. He'd expected her to get out of the car, not just them. And I wanted to run to him and say, but I'm here, you see? I'm right here. I'm really here. Only, of course, I couldn't do that. Because I was only a ghost. I've lived here for a whole year now. The house stays the same. I sleep every night in my pale blue room. Every night the bed is turned down. And I crawl between the pretty sheets. The next day it is made up again. This summer the roses were more beautiful than ever. I would go out to the rose garden every morning at daybreak and pick a yellow one and put it at her place at the breakfast table. She thinks he does it. And he lets her think so. Just this morning... I left a particularly beautiful one. Oh, Frederick. <laughs> You've done it again. My yellow rose. Oh. Oh, that. I don't know how you manage. I never hear you sneak out. Well, you're always asleep. <laughs> she loved them so. The yellow roses. Yes. I know. Frederick. Yes, love. Do you feel sometimes that she's here... In this house with us. Many times. So do I. I'm staying on. The boy has gone away to school, and they really need me. 
matter how busy our lives, how interesting our pleasures, there are depths of loneliness that neither work nor pleasure can plumb. A little core of ourselves that needs someone to talk to or simply to be with. Who can fill this need better than an understanding ghost? I'll be back shortly. If I could leave one thing with you when I'd leave the dirt behind, I'd like to leave a bright blue sky as my gift to all mankind. If I could choose just one small thing for the children, I'd be queen. A life forever and healthy, something nice to breathe. Yes, this is my legacy. This is my prayer. Most that grew up in a machine age, the result of a means to an end. But the end must change if we're to continue breathing. We can clean up the air, perhaps even in your time, but we need your help. Won't you? Join with your lung association in the fight against air pollution. It's a matter of life and breath. think about it, the more certain I am that each of us not only needs a ghost, but has a ghost. We cannot see it or touch it or hear it, but it is there, and it keeps us company when there is no one else. A ghost, perhaps, is no more than a memory of someone once well-loved. Our cast included Lois Nettleton, Carmen Matthews, Fred Gwynn, and Russell Horton. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. It's all right, Carl. Just me. Allow uh, Mr. Stevens here to look through the viewer. Well, you are about to meet the man you uh, resemble so closely. I was looking through a viewer that fitted to my eyes like the mask on a periscope or an old stereopticon. By some trick of complimenting mirrors, the entire room was revealed and somehow lighted at the same time so that even though the drapes were drawn and the room... every detail was as clear as bright daylight. Too clear as I looked at the man sitting on a chair facing me. I could feel my stomach churn like I was going to be sick. I was literally frozen with horror as I finally saw why Durward Drake had chosen to become a recluse. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by all state insurance companies. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today.